Hey, my name is Heath. And I'm John. And this is the Film Grad Review. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to be discussing Venom in theaters now. The second season of Netflix series, Big Mouth. We're also going to have a trailer trash for Peter Jackson's new film coming out in December, Mortal Engines. Peter which... Jackson produced. Oh, not directed? No, directed by Christopher Rivers, who I think was one of his FX guys on the Lord of the Rings stuff. Gosh, I didn't do my research. I just saw Peter. Okay, well, so, okay. Peter Jackson He produced. is pushing it hard, though. Yeah. Which, I guess maybe that makes a little sense. But before we get into all of that, I sat down and watched Private Life last night. It's a new Netflix film. So we're going to start off there. Private Life, directed and written by uh, Tamara, or Tamara, I'm not sure how to say it either way, Caroline Bryan. It's Caroline. It's Caroline Bryan. Tamara Jenkins, you might recognize the name from slums of beverly hills and savages i read it's interesting she seems to make a movie every 10 years and they're always really really well done slums of beverly hills has alan arkin in it and savages is laura lenny and philip seymour hoffman so i don't think i've seen either of those yeah lots of lots of um natasha leone she's also in slums of beverly hills it's a lot of uh good talent but this one has Paul Giamatti, which is what sold me, and then Catherine Hahn, who, again, is, is incredible. Oh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, 92%. IMDb, 7 out of 10. And Google, 83%. 83% okay, that's, approval. that's pretty uh, average for a Netflix film, yep. as far as Google's concerned. Yeah, now that you just talked through it, I, I remember I did see this trailer and I was interested in it, so this ought to be fun to talk yeah, about. Yeah, so then I won't um, go into like too, too much detail, um, but the film is, it's about a 40-something couple that put off having kids and is now desperately trying to have a family, and it goes through some of their processes mostly, though, the in vitro fertilization and how Paul Giamatti's character Richard, he's blocked up, as they say, sperm is no good, and Catherine Hahn's uh, Rachel, her womb is less than ideal to start a family. It feels a lot like a mumblecore movie, which I don't know if you're familiar with the term. Yeah, we're, um, we're talking about yeah. the... Like Mark and his brother Duplass brothers. Mark and Jay Duplass, uh, Joe Swanberg. Jeff who lives at home. Yeah, uh, sure, sure. Jeff lives at home, puffy chair, baghead. It, it focuses on kind of the minutia of life. There's no big stories really to be told. There's not a, a, a large thing that needs to happen. It's just kind of a, a portion of someone's life and then that's kind of it. And that is definitely what's going on here. We kind of walk through these two characters uh, going to like a, a fertility clinic. And at one point, Paul Giamatti has to give a, a sample. So he's like watching porn. 
and he's just totally not into it. He's bored, and it it kind of uh, punctuates where they're at in this this whole ordeal of trying to get pregnant so late in life. Is it a comedic film at all? It's definitely drama heavy at times, but there where the comedy comes in is kind of those mumblecore moments that's uh, kind of making light of everyday situations. So, uh, like, the fertility doctor, like, really loves prog rock, so whenever he's, like, looking around at her her uterus or vagina, he's got some, like, yes music playing or whatever, and he's, like, air-drumming it to it. And... They go to the clinic during... Halloween and the nurse is wearing devil horns and it's just like the way that things are framed and the way that things are approached in the film they're just like it's not knee slapping grab your your stomach because you're laughing so hard it's just like oh yeah like I've been there like that's funny because that's happened to me I don't think any of those things have happened to me personally but sure (laughs) but there's one scene in particular where they're trying to clean their home because they have an adoption counselor coming on uh, in played by Siobhan Fallon, who is incredible. You might remember her from Men in Black. I'll tell you something right now. I know Egger, and that was an Egger. Uh, she's, she shows up here and there. She's a great character actress. She has this little bit as the counselor, adoption counselor, and they're cleaning their house. Catherine Hahn is, is scrubbing their tub, and she's wearing just a T-shirt. And Richard... Paul Giamatti is saying, oh, should we take down this painting? It's a painting of one of their friends, fully nude. They're, they're these left-wing bohemian playwrights, you know, and it's not a big deal for them. And she comes out ranting about if they can't accept who we are, then they should just, just fuck off, blah, blah, blah. And she is ranting with just a shirt on. So, like, everything's hanging out, and it's just this moment where you're like, people have had arguments like that, where you're not dressed for the camera or whatever. It just feels very natural and very real, I guess. Their whole relationship feels real as uh, these two people that have been together for so long that have put off trying to start a family, and Rachel is at Richard's throat all the time kind of shifting blame because she's always said well I can't have a baby now because of this or I can't have a baby now because of this and she keeps moving the date and it's put a strain on them and she like doesn't accept any blame for it she always shifts blame to other people at one point trying to blame feminism in general for this whole thing of like saying that you have to choose one or the other but yeah so then the whole movie kind of comes together when Sadie, their niece, comes in, who's the, the, her mother is played by Molly Shannon. Her father's played by a guy named John Carroll Lynch, who was in Zodiac, uh, Fargo. Yeah, he's a pretty recognizable face character actor. Exactly. Tall guy. I really like him. He's great in everything that he does. So I was like, oh, awesome. Like all these all these faces kept popping up. So I was very happy. Which is, is pretty funny because when I saw this trailer, I was really taken that Catherine Hahn was, giving, was given top billing because she is, like these other people that we've talked about, very much a, a, a face that you would recognize 
um, but not someone who's ever really been in a starring role. You know, she was the wife of Adam Scott's character in Step Brothers. Stay golden, pony boy. She had a reoccurring role in Parks and Rec. It's a horrible sound. Children. Ugh, your life is gross. My life is amazing. She's been in just about every comedy you can think of in the past 10, 15 years. Starring opposite Paul Giamatti feels like a really big leap for her. She handles it very well. I think with this role, she's proven that she's not just a comedic person. She has so much range. And I think that we've we've really started to see comedic actors do that. Jim Carrey really stepped out when he did uh, to an extent, Truman Show, but I think Eternal Sunshine really kind of put people on. It's like, oh, Jim Carrey actually has some chops. John C. Riley has done a few roles where he stepped out of that. Well, I think Will Ferrell. He, he's a little different because I th- he started in dramatic roles and then went into comedic roles and then he kind of vacillates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially with um, Anderson, P.T. Anderson stuff. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, he's got a, a bit role in The Thin Red Line, too, which is kind of weird to see. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's weird to see him in Boogie Nights, I think. Hey, did you ever see that movie Star Wars? People tell me he looked like Han Solo. I think I had gone back and watched it again after you know, Talladega Nights and everything, and I was like, oh, man, that's, that's John C. Riley. Oh. But, uh, but yeah, so... Overall, it is a little bit of a drag. The movie is is divided into sections, so there's like vignettes. The, well, kind of. That I think the parts are just given names. Like it says, the retrieval, the home study, the test. And okay, unless so I like missed chapters, yeah, chapters. And unless I missed uh, an, a last one or whatever, it ends with the test, but there's like another hour and a half of a movie left after that. So, but, uh, yeah, so they, they kind of recruit in Sadie, the, the niece to help them and things go from there. And there's some, some really sad moments to see kind of what people have to go through when they're starting a family so late in life. It's, it's very poignant. Yeah. And I think it's probably, a much more relatable subject to a lot of people these days because people are living longer. They are pushing off families uh, into later in life. That's a lot more common now than it would have been, you know, 50 years ago. So there, there is fertile ground there, I think, for exploration. Oh, yeah. Ha, fertile ground. Oh, yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rachel even says people in their 40s give birth all the time. And Richard looks at her seemingly wanting to say, yeah, but they don't plan for that. Most of these women either are trying to get pregnant for 10 years and then it finally happens or it's an accident. Nobody really plans like, okay, at 40, I'm going to start trying to have kids. It just is not, that's not normal. It's not, it's not ideal biologically. It's not ideal and it's not feasible. But uh, another little bit to look out for is a guy, a character named Sam, played by Desmond Borge, who is Edgar and you're the worst. I'm screwed up because I saw my friends die. You're screwed up because you're just a really lame dude. And you're the worst is one of the best series I've ever watched. It's funny. Polish. What's Polish? Polish. It's where Poles are from. 
You'd love it there, Linzers. <laughs> but really, really sad. Okay. It feels Sounds like uh, it has the same balance that BoJack Horseman has, which I know you haven't watched, but there's moments of just uh, insane comedic parts. Yeah, and I'll be sure to return the favor and sabotage your eventual attempt to do something useful with your life, like finish your GED or dance in your adult tap recital. It's Afro-funk fusion. But then punctuated by just overwhelming dread. Relax. Relax? Says the guy so riddled with anxiety he can't sleep through the night without screaming. Oh, we know. You were in a war. Get over it. They, they captured what it's like to be in a relationship with a with a depressive person very, very well. Is that still on? Uh, they're in their last season. Okay. This this one right now will be their last season. Private Life, I'd recommend it, especially if you like just straight indie dramas or the mumblecore stuff. It's it's a good watch. But at two hours, it's a little long. And it's hard to go wrong with uh, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, which, again, is what brought me to it. Uh, when we were talking last night... It's like, oh, what am I going to watch to kind of start the show off? And I saw that in my recommended. And I was like, oh, yeah, no question. I love both of these people. Right. All right. We're going to move into Big Mouth. I'm going through it's uh, in its second season, premiered last Friday. Rotten Tomatoes right now, 100%. IMDb. 8 out of 10 in Google, 94%. Wow. Yeah, the series is created by Nick Kroll, Adam Goldberg, Mark Levin, and Jennifer Flackett. Has tons of, of voices in it. And uh, it's a funny yet weirdly accurate portrayal of teenage sexuality. You kind of feel dirty watching it, at least yeah, I, I do. I wondered about that when when you mentioned watching that because cause you had said something, I think the last time we talked to a couple episodes about how you weren't a fan of toilet humor and I thought man he must really struggle with a lot of this because it honestly is just disgusting sometimes oh oh and remember that time I tried to wash you and you were just like wet for three days so wet sobbing and they're trying to be I yeah mean, they're, not, they're they're animating things that you've never seen animated uh they're going in directions that are uh, just beyond raunchy. I should just read to you from my jerk-off journal. No. January 8th. Jay. I woke up with a boner that could cut glass. Sometimes it's hilarious, and sometimes it's just grotesque. So it, it's a weird mix of sincere yeah. exploration of, like, puberty and uh, prepubescent, pubescent uh, transformation, and then just off-the-wall banana stuff, like getting a pillow pregnant and it having it your child. and Scorpion? You take care of your mom out there. Uh, just, just to give the tip of the iceberg. Just the tip? The very just tip. Just the tip. So much to unpack that it's it's hard to talk about the series in such a short span of time because you have so many great characters, like Duke Ellington's ghost, played by Jordan Peele. This period hullabaloo will pass, but then it will come again. And again, and again, until one time she tells you it didn't come, and that's when you move away and change your name to Duke Ellington. doesn't really have as much to do in the second season. I think he was probably too busy with his post-get-out blow-up, which they actually even do work in a get-out joke at one point, which kind of felt obligatory. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
Uh, my favorite addition to the second season has to be David Thewlis' Shame Wizard. I'm the Shame Wizard, of course. Yes. <laughs> the Shame Wizard is is so so funny, but it 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 goes back to how accurate it is. You know, there's there's a, a an episode where Jesse, one of the the girls, finds weed gummies, and she and Nick played by Nick Kroll, eat them and they get high and it ends up with the mom kicking the dad out of the house who are already on the rocks and the shame wizard comes in and is like, it's all your fault, you shouldn't have done this, that's why you know he got kicked out and, and that's exactly what happens, especially with children. They, they internalize a lot of the external things that are happening that are out of their control and then they, they go back and make it funny by saying, if you made a few more phone calls to Hillary Clinton, who knows what would have happened. Yeah, the the whole series is, or at least the initial season, was based on Nick Kroll's life and growing up and not being the most physically developed amongst his friends and just sort of the the drama there. You've got you've got him doing about a thousand voices. If you liked the Kroll show or you liked any of his stuff he's done in the past, uh, with Patrice Patrice or the Ed Hardy boys. Third and third mostly, I would like to ask you, do you date me? Um, you're going to hear all of those voices and then many more. Uh, I think he probably voices like 20 characters in this thing. Um, then you got Mulaney and Jason Manzukis. And if you've liked any of the stuff that they've done in the past, then you will appreciate the humor. You can tell a lot of the jokes just came from them just sitting around saying nonsense stuff to each other and then working it in later to the story. So there are like legitimately hilarious random bits of comedy throughout this thing. But at the same time, they're trying to tell stories like that with Jesse and her parents or in this, the, the main one here is Nick. He loses his hormone monster. So he, he feels like he's stuck in puberty, like he's not progressing. And the, the shame wizard, of course, is the big arc throughout this whole thing. How are we supposed to live in this world as sexual beings and not be ashamed? It's very uh, social justice forward, especially with the Jesse character, to the point where the show stops halfway through in the fifth episode to just be a skit show in support of Planned Parenthood. And it's not even tongue-in-cheek. The characters are talking to the camera like this is what Planned Parenthood is and even Nick Kroll's avatar in the show also named Nick mentions oh I'm probably going to get some comments on Twitter about this and it 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 really is kind of an absurd departure in an already insane show to the point where I almost I I almost just skipped entirely it's like I don't see what this has to do with anything. Um, I watched a couple of the skits. It really is just about, oh, Planned Parenthood, you can go there and get an abortion, or you can get uh, prophylactics, whatever. And then it jumps back into the main story. And then, yeah, you mentioned the Hillary thing. They really wear their liberal attributes on their sleeve in this one. And to the point where the climax of the series is just about how nothing is wrong, and if you feel shame, then that's the problem, which... I am not on board with at all, but that having been said, it still had plenty of things that were hilarious and true to life, but then then they just start pushing agendas at points, which is just very strange for a show that has animated dicks and and buttholes and all kinds of other stuff like that. I guess I felt like some of that stuff was tongue-in-cheek 
I felt like it was, um, look how absurd this whole thing is, is what it felt like to me. Some of it is, certainly. I do remember that episode and felt like it was kind of a weird insert into the into the season, but I mean, I watched the whole thing and there was some stuff to laugh at, but not the strongest episode by by far. I actually really liked Guy Town episode. <laughs> I think unless there was a great sound alike, I think that was Harvey Firestein in there. Oh yeah, he's uh yeah. Andrew's father and he did a couple other voices, yeah. Oh no, that's Richard Kind that does Andrew's father. Oh yeah, sorry. No, yeah, Harvey Firestein is the is the old queen yeah 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 yeah. that educates andrew reynolds on it could have been yeah or (laughs) someone doing an impression of him would you make me a woman honey i'm so happy yeah but i i love harry firestein so and i unless i'm thinking too much of it because their last name is bilzerian and there's a guy in guide town that looks like dan bilzerian Uh, yeah i think i think that's very intentional you know nick kroll does love to mock like these um reality personalities these you know instagram famous people so and what a guy to mock i mean the dude literally looks like he does nothing except for party yeah and he's he's but, uh, I mean, he's a walking joke so it's a pretty easy target yeah um yeah that More was a, that was him, a I guess. funny episode it's i would just say that i mean for me i i loved the kroll show and i, I love jason manzoukas uh, a lot of the characters he's played in different stuff and uh, the podcast he does with Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael, who also does a voice in this show, How Did This Get Made, where they talk about terrible movies. It's pretty funny. Well, like what draws me to it is is Mulaney. John Mulaney is one of the funniest stand-ups I have seen ever. Midget is as bad as the N-word. First off, no. Except for there was an Alzheimer's thing that uh, Seth Rogen did. It's on Netflix. And John Mulaney looks like he is coked out of his mind. He's sweating. Oh, are you talking about, like, the, the variety thing they did for Christmas yeah. or whatever? Yeah. And... Kroll's in right. there, too. And he is, like, all over the stage. I think he flubs a few of his, his punchlines. And Amanda and I watch it, and we're like, he is coked up. He has done, like, jokes in his act about doing, like, all kinds of crazy drugs when he was younger, so... Right, so, going back to that, I, I wonder if maybe he just had a cold or something, because he stopped drinking completely because he was such a prodigious drinker, but I don't know. It was very... It felt very strange from the 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 polished John Mulaney to what I saw there. Which he is. His his stand up is very polished. And and his his voice work in, in the cartoon is is great. Uh, he does a couple of voices. One of the main kids and then I, he does a detective and, <laughs> yeah. and there's a couple other that you can hear. Like him just putting a little like Brooklyn on his accent. <laughs> we'll be sure to find your daughter's body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Big Mouth if you watch the first season, clearly you're gonna like the second one. If you didn't Maybe dip your toes into the pool in the first season and see how you like it. Don't just jump into the second season, obviously. No, that would be terrible. All right, so over the weekend, John and I both went and saw Venom. And I gotta tell you, this was a real uh, struggle for me of whether or not I was going to get out there and see it. Uh, I mean, I can't... After watching The Predator, uh, I, I felt like, oh, I can't go through this again. Oh, I think we might be more of the same mindset this time, but 
So Venom, directed by Ruben Fleischer, he did Zombieland, 30 Minutes or Less, Gangster Squad, which I actually enjoyed if you look at it like it's a superhero movie, because it definitely feels like one. Rotten Tomatoes, 31%. IMDb, 7.1 out of 10. And Google, 95%. Yeah, Google is an enigma. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. Um, the, the, the number one thing you can say about Venom, and I think this is probably why you'll see the higher ratings on IMDb or Google, is that Tom Hardy is just... A hundred percent bananas in this movie, and when he is on screen <laughs> doing both Eddie Brock and Venom, it is oftentimes just a riot. Like uh, it, he's it's he's beautiful. funny, he's insane, he's just a hundred percent there. He's full energy the whole movie. Uh, if he wasn't, if he wasn't in this, there would be literally nothing to recommend. But because he is in this, right. it gets a little tricky to talk about. Warning, warning, warning. Spoilers, spoilers ahead, ahead. ahead. Right. I think that what hurts this this film is Venom is such a, a recognizable and well-known character that if you have any knowledge of the character, it kind of hurts the film. Because right away, it doesn't take place in New York City. It's in San Francisco. They play to that a little bit by saying that, that yeah they give an offhand that comment. he got kicked out of New York because his investigative journalism whatever which immediately takes away why right. he's not interacting with Spider Man because that's where Venom came from he's supposed to be a foil to Spider Man right. and and initially Venom the symbiote attached to Spider Man and then it was rejected. So then it, it takes over Eddie Brock and, and a host of other people, but but mostly Eddie Brock. And what's so strange right off the bat with this this movie is they, they talk about how it has to be a perfect match between the host and the symbiote. And they show like these hosts rejecting it and getting like contorted and twisted and, and all this stuff. But then it seems to bond with numerous other people with no problem yeah so the the weakness of this movie is the script is the storytelling once you remove venom as a villain from the spider-man universe with spider-man in it there's really not a whole lot to do with the character at all and the writers clearly had that problem so there's a lot of different symbiotes in the movie which they call them symbiotes. Okay, they're aliens. They're alien life forms. They bond with other creatures. They try to explain this in the world of the film. Like they have to be with a life form that breathes oxygen so that they can survive in an oxygen-rich environment. But then that's not really followed through with. So, you know, Venom, this, the, the alien character, detaches and is able to kind of uh, escape through a ventilation system at one point and go from host to host. It's so it's which is more like well I don't know what it's like but it, it's not it's not like the um, what am I trying to think of? It's <laughs> what's a movie where like something takes over like like a body snatchers or something like that. Like um, the thing. Maybe yeah, like the thing. There's an alien and it takes over people and I think in that it copies them 
Uh, but anyway, it makes them bad. And the, the symbiote does that in this movie. Uh, the first symbiote we see embodies or takes over a woman in Malaysia who then uh, kills a bunch of people for no reason and then jumps to another body and then it keeps going like until it gets to San Francisco. Yeah, but did you did you see that timeline though? It takes the because it's Venom that takes over the Malaysian woman. No, it's not. It's Riot. It's the en- the enemy one. Oh, that's right. It is okay. So it's Riot that takes over the Malaysian woman, and then it takes that. It takes six months for it to get from Malaysia to San Francisco. Why? Why does it take so long? Well, why do we even have to go through that journey? Why did the spaceship crash in Malaysia at the beginning of the film? There's no reason yeah, it for added, that. Yeah, it added. I it probably added that to show that it can go from person to person. But then right away, it, it stops that whole process by saying that it can't do that. And it takes over that little blonde girl who just walks away from her family and then makes it into a high security area. Yeah, in an airport. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, so she starts in an airport. Yeah, There's just so many gaps in logic in that. And we, we're, getting, we're getting lost in the weeds on that. And that's not even the dumbest thing about this. So, yeah, the movie doesn't know what it wants to do with the symbiotes. Uh, it doesn't know what it wants to do with Venom. So we spend probably an hour of time with just Eddie Brock and setting up all this dumb stuff that doesn't matter. Like, they make the villain uh, this very thinly sketched caricature of Elon right. Musk uh, in his SpaceX rockets, but then they're not rockets. Uh, that was a spaceship at the beginning of the movie. Um, Riz Ahmed plays him. We see uh, drama with Eddie and his fiance, who's either Sienna Miller or Michelle Williams. I never know That's who's Michelle who Williams. between the two of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a fun game. Which one's in American <laughs> Sniper? Which one's in the Maryland Rook? Um, so there's like relationship drama with them. They try to make Eddie Brock be a serious investigative journalist, kind of like Vice, right. I guess. He has his own show, uh, which doesn't matter. I mean, it's just an excuse to get him involved in this situation where he's going to come in contact with the symbiote. And that was the first thing that really upset me because – there's a scene where he gets fired. He com- he confronts Riz Ahmed, uh, who's his name. What is his name in the movie? It's like Carlton something. Yeah, it's something very. They 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 make this offhand comment that oh, you were raised by British parents to justify his bland white person name Drake. Maybe is it Yo, Carlton Drake yeah. or something like that. Carlton Drake. Like oh, so. that sounds like a bad guy's name. But <laughs> so he he confronts him. He's like oh, you're killing homeless people because this is San Francisco. Uh, you know, homeless people big problem. And <laughs> and then he gets fired because his boss says oh, what, who was your source? And he says oh, it wasn't a source. It was just a hunch. He's like well, we can't. You know, we have to have facts and we have to have corroboration. Which, if you've paid attention to anything in the mainstream media and for any amount of time, no. Everything hits the internet and then gets you know repeated and repeated and repeated. Nobody double-checks sources or facts or anything. And it just yeah. felt so false. And that doesn't age – it doesn't age well or, or, or it doesn't mesh well with the world we know. Because as you said, it's a thinly veiled Elon Musk caricature. And Elon Musk is – he is destroyed right now. With just kind of yeah, people are all just over going him. off the rails, calling this this diver a pedophile for no reason, 
and then he's in a, like securities fraud trouble with the SEC, and they're trying to make it seem like this character is untouchable. Right, you, or you he's super powerful. Him. Yeah, and the media will always find a way to break down somebody that gets a little too heady. Right, and it, it doesn't make any sense. First of all, here's something maybe you noticed. Riz Ahmed never leaves that building. He ne- He's almost <laughs> in the lab the entire movie. So all he is, he's in a lab saying, do this experiment, and I don't care about ethics. And everybody else around him, except for Jenny Slate, who's in this movie for some reason, is like, okay. And then she goes to get Eddie Brock, because again, we have to get Eddie Brock in contact with the symbiote, and for some reason the symbiote's in this lab. And he says, well, why don't you go to the police if he's killing people? And she says, oh no, he's he's too dangerous. He knows about my family. And I'm just thinking, that's insane. If you know, of course you could go to the police. That's you, we have systems in place to protect people from you know powerful right. people. And it, it's it's so dumb. But of course we have to get Tom Hardy in, to be Venom. And once he does, for all 15 minutes that Venom is probably in this movie in total, it's wonderful. He says crazy stuff. says at one point like i've got this alien jammed all the way up my ass or something like that and he's you know he's like straining it's it's very um reminiscent of uh al pacino going off in that scene in heat where he's talking about she's got a great ass and your head's all the way up or whatever it is she got a great ass and you got your head all the way up it and i loved it and i'm laughing at things like that there's guys in the theater laughing and, but at the same time, we're laughing at things that are so dumb, like Riz Ahmed saying, he's like, they, he wants to pilot the rocket, and they're like, you can't do it by yourself. And he's like, I'm not alone, because, yeah. you know, he's got the symbiote now. Jesus. And it's just like, oh, how did that make it into the movie? God, I loved the, uh, the, the eyes, lungs, pancreas, so many snacks, so little time. Eyes. Yes, yes, but that leads to I I think the biggest problem in this entire movie is that it's rated PG thirteen. It needed to be an R rated movie, and they needed to say you know kids be damned because Venom is an R rated character, and he bites heads off. And Which you don't see because it's all people. off screen, None. right? There's there's no blood in the movie ever. And there's a tiny like dark space when. Tom Hardy gets like stabbed with something at one point, but that's, yeah, that's about it. Otherwise. Um, and that's another huge problem with this movie is outside of Tom Hardy and Venom. Uh, it's boring. The action is very poorly shot. It's dark. There's this long chase scene. Uh, This movie's set in San Francisco, but they obviously filmed huge chunks of it in Atlanta, uh, including this chase scene that goes in front of the Rialto theater, the same intersection, three different times in the same chase scene like it, it they go past the rialto sign he's on a motorcycle they go past it again there's like a car crash they go past it a third time there's a huge explosion it's it's so poorly staged and just sort of bland um the color palette's weird like the fire is blue everything's blue 
later there's uh the only other like major action scene before the final battle which takes place in like three minutes and it's just a big right, weird so cgi short. fest um the only like real scene with venom fighting is he takes on a big swat team and immediately at the start of the fight they shoot smoke and then make it like you can't see anything and why is there a swat team there yeah who, I, who called this why and like 30 40 guys i've never seen a swat. i mean maybe they got that many guys in san francisco i don't know but eddie brock goes in he's like oh, i have to get upstairs it's the place he used to work i have to leave something for this for the guy and the leader of the mayan motorcycle gang from uh sons of anarchy is like no you can't come up you don't work here and he leaves and then he runs up the building and that's it. That's all of the, that no one sees him do this. Right. And then all of a sudden there's this entire SWAT team in the lobby when he comes downstairs, which why he came downstairs is because apparently he's afraid of heights right. and he wants to take the elevator and then Venom calls him a pussy. Jump. Pussy. Yeah. Which, you know, gets a laugh, but. Right. So I saw a review that said that one of the their major gripes was that Venom talks like a bro, and I don't know enough about the character background to speak to it, but from what I understand, that's kind of just how the character was written. In this same review, talked about how it was weird that Venom had eyes and a mouth when it's a symbiote, and I said, I stopped reading it at that point, because it's a comic book character, and it's going to have eyes in the mouth and what, oh, yeah. what a stupid none, thing none to point of, out. The logic yeah. works at <laughs> all. And, and he only knows things that are convenient to the plot. For example, you know, he says, Oh, I know everything cause I'm in your mind, but then he doesn't know who his girlfriend is when they first meet. Um, and, and weird stuff like that, that it's just inconsistencies. And the, you got to know that Tom Hardy looked at this and he said, okay, I'm going to do this. I get to do two different people and I get to do a crazy voice because that seems to be like his number one reason to take a role. Because even in roles where he doesn't need to have a weird voice, he does. Like, I don't know if you've seen Locke, which is just him driving in a car, talking to people on the phone for the whole movie. Sean, something's happened. I need you to hold it together for me. It will be a long night. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It's on Netflix right now, but it's, Literally, the whole movie is just him, him in a car talking to different people over the phone. Um, but he's in England, and he's a British guy. But he's still doing, like, a weird affected voice, like, as though he was, like, a, an immigrant who came to England and then learned how to speak English just for no reason. You know, he just wants to do that. So the Venom voice, that, that was probably the only thing I liked because it was clear Tom Hardy knew that that's the tone this movie should have been, like, this goofy, outrageous you know, something a little more in the vein of Deadpool instead of this kind of cheap 2000s era comic book X-Men knockoff, you know, like Daredevil or Ghost Rider, which is very much what this feels it's like. It's perfect that you draw an allusion to Deadpool because I do think that it would have been a better film had they gone into it with that mindset because while Tom Hardy and Eddie Brock and Venom, they treat it that way. Riz Ahmed's character is way too self-serious for the film. Well, really, the whole rest of the film is. I mean, Michelle Williams, she gets to have a little fun at the end, but the first part of the movie, it's, like, very serious. Like, she's like, oh, this breakup, and, and yeah, of course, Riz Ahmed 
and I, there's only like three other characters. You know, this this world felt very underpopulated. So, with that said, definitely don't go pay to see it. I saw it in IMAX 3D just because it didn't cost anything for me, which is so nice. But, yeah, the only reason to see it in the theater would be to see the very end after the credits roll. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the Spider-Man Into, into the, the Spider-Verse. Spider-verse cliff, which looks incredible. It really does look amazing, the, the animation style. Um, it, it's so photorealistic, but at the same time, so comic booky. It's, it's an amazing mix. Um, yeah, I would say don't, don't waste your time, don't waste your money. Uh, I paid $6 to see it, and that still felt like too much. <laughs> what will probably happen in the future is somebody will go and they'll cut out all the Tom Hardy and Venom scenes, and you can just watch them on YouTube, and then that, that'll be it. That's all you'll need to do. Because yeah. there's no story to follow. Uh, they throw in this like left-field justification for Venom being a hero at the end because the other alien symbiote that takes over Riz Ahmed is like the leader of an army of symbiotes that want to come to Earth and eat everybody or something now. So Tom Hardy literally says at one point, well, let's go save the world to stop him from blasting back off into space to go get his army. Yeah, uh, It's stupid. So and the whole movie doesn't really go anywhere until it gets to that point. So it's it, th- there's a lot of scenes of Tom Hardy just walking uh, through San Francisco. So yeah, maybe one day somebody will cut all the, the Venom stuff. It's only like 15 minutes, like I said, and that'll be worth watching. But the rest of it is just bleh. Coming soon to YouTube, the Venom Supercut. Keep an eye out. All right, that brings us to the end of our show, where we have a... Trailer trash. Today, we're going to be trashing Mortal Engines. Even though it looks intriguing, I think the trailer looks bonkers. Yeah, I, you mentioned Peter Jackson, and he's, you know, I, I think I've liked his page or whatever on Facebook, so he's posted videos where he'll introduce this and be like, hey everybody, here's the new trailer, come watch it, because uh, he is the exec producer um, I got the guy's name wrong at the beginning. It's Christian Rivers is the guy's name. He was the art director, or he worked in the art department for all of Peter Jackson's other movies of late. So this is clearly just Jackson helping a, helping one of his guys out, giving him an opportunity. Uh, it's based on a book, right? Or Oh, I, I a, it's It's a book or a comic book series. Comic book feels right. But anyway, it's it's a previous prop. It's it an looks. it's an adaptation, which is why I think they felt that it would come with a built-in audience. Because what is it? It's it's cities that are on wheels in a steampunk uh, yeah, post-apocalyptic future. Yeah. So like right away, it, you can tell it's a, it's a weird post-apocalyptic world where the cities are mobile. They're like, oh, what is that? It's London. What is that? That. Is London. And yeah, London's big, the bad guy. Yeah, it's this big city with like spider legs. It feels very wild, wild west. And I, I don't know if. Do the cities eat other cities? I think, because they call them predator cities. The great predator cities. 
Yeah, in one of the earlier trailers, like the teaser trailer, that's what it is. It's like this big city coming after a little city and like opening its mechanical maw to swallow up the little city. Which, why? Why? It doesn't... Okay, I mean, I guess it'll explain why. Oh, well, and that's the thing. That, I, one of the problems with this movie is definitely going to be they're going to have to spend so much time setting up and justifying this world. And then the story, like I watched... For this, I watched the newest trailer, the second featured length trailer or whatever. And what's the story? The story is this girl who has a scar on her face, and that's her personality, getting revenge for her mother, or her mother gave her some secret knowledge that Hugo Weaving wants because, and they're running away from him. There's a lot of running and jumping in slow motion, and then there's like a monster? Yeah, so I I watched both of the, the trailers, and... The first one and the second one feel very different from each other because the second one, which is the one that introduces this green-eyed mouth glowing thing, that's, I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to be because I thought that the the, the villain was, was, was Hugo, Hugo Weaving, Weaving or London in general. Or London yeah. itself, yeah, the so city. So the movie feels way over the top, which... I guess is why I thought it was Peter Jackson because it has a Peter Jackson feel, but because the guy works in the art department, that makes more sense now as well because it does have a Peter Jackson feel through this guy, the director. Yeah, I mean it's it's all CGI, like, and none of it really looks no, good no. either. It looks unpolished at best. Airships, you know, just think of your steampunk playbook you know and it's it's got all that stuff in it big gears and steampunk by numbers to the max they even have like because asia is supposed to be a big deal in the future look at blade runner they have the savior asian with these like square sunglasses i've been looking for you for a long time your mother she said she had found something dangerous she was afraid of valentine of what he might do yeah, like Matrix 1999 sunglasses, and she's wearing like this big red coat. <laughs> looks very out of place with the people in their uh, Victorian England leather boots and stuff. White, white, white people. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned that, that there's something that, that Hugo Weaving wants and it's dangerous. I guarantee you it is something rudimentary. Oh, I'm sure. I bet it's something so, like Book it's, of Eli. It's like a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, like Book of Eli was the Bible, which I, right. I kind of picked up on way early in the film. But um, I bet it, yeah, it's something so trivial to us today. Like, it's a plastic spoon that for some right. reason is, you know, the going to unravel everything. And I'm just waiting to find out what it is. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I, I like Peter Jackson you know, forever be indebted to his his bringing Lord of the Rings to the big screen the way he did. Uh, I even like his King Kong, um, but I don't think I can get behind this. Uh, <laughs> it's just too, it just looks dumb. Or like you said, it just looks yeah. goofy. Goofy in general. It's taken itself seriously. Uh, there doesn't appear to be any humor in it at all. Um, it's trying to be epic. It's trying to be all the things that Lord of the Rings was, but without any of the, you know, without any of the grounding in, in things that, people are actually interested in what would be worse what would be worse would it be a two and a half hour of this movie or would it be an hour and 25 minutes like 
the gunslinger. I, I'm sure it's way too long. I'm sure it's way, way too long. I mean, there's, I, I bet like the first 30 minutes of it is just exposition of explaining the world. I mean, I don't know how it couldn't be. Um, the trailer is almost, the trailer's like two and a half minutes. And the first part is her explaining this whole backstory with her mom and Hugo weaving. It's like, Oh my God. Yep. All right. So today we talked about private life stars, Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. It's on Netflix right now. I recommend it, especially if you like indie dramas, we discussed big mouth season two on Netflix if you like season one, definitely get into season two. If you haven't watched season one, maybe start there first and see how you like it. And then we talked about Venom in theaters right now. John and I both agree, don't waste your time or money to go see it. Look for the Venom Supercut on YouTube coming soon. And then we just trashed the trailer for the Mortal Engines. Looks crazy as hell. Next week, we're going to have Jean-Claude Van Damme in the studio. My nipples were so cold, they started talking to me. I'm going to ask him what he thinks about Jean-Claude Van Johnson being canceled, whether he thinks that his career is going to have a resurgence or not. So that's it for me. All right, guys. Take care. All righty.